I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech Show. Technology can be used to improve slow and manual processes. Ritu Vincent, engineering manager at Checker, explained the bottlenecks of the background checks process and how it's being improved. Ritu talked about a REST API and machine learning and how these are speeding up the process of getting a background check and reducing the unconscious bias that is present in the traditional workflow of background checks. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Blind for being a sponsor. Navigating the workplace can be a challenge. Blind is here to help. It's an anonymous app for tech workers where they can discuss and talk about career development, corporate policies, compensation, workplace harassment, and more. Go to teamblind.com to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. That's teamblind.com. Thank you. Ritu Vincent, engineering manager at Checker, is joining us today. Ritu, welcome to the show. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about how technology can be used to improve the process of requesting compliant background checks. But before we start talking about this, can you explain what a background check consists of? So a background check basically is a whole bunch of smaller checks that uh, look for publicly available information about a candidate that wants to, say, you know, drive for a specific company or uh, really just like be hired by a specific company. So customers contract with us to trigger background checks, and then they look through the information that comes back in a background check, which could be criminal information, address history, driving records, just a whole bunch of information about the customer, the candidate profile. And uh, then they look at that information to make a hiring decision. I see. And you mentioned this is publicly available information. Can you give some examples of the information that is available? It's information that could be with your local courthouse. For example, if there was a crime committed, then it's recorded by the courthouses and the police stations. It could also be at your DMV. And so we have, uh, Checker has integrations with all of these data providers that pull information from publicly managed data sources. And so that's, yeah, that's basically the information that we get. And you mentioned there are different types of screenings or reasons why we would do a background check. One of them was criminal records. What are other examples of reasons why we do this? For what objective? So criminal records is a big one. We also search for whether somebody is on the sex offender registry. We look for international criminal record, like if you're registered with Interpol, for example. And then we look for your driving record. So if you've got speeding tickets or if you run a red light or things like, or if you were in an accident, we definitely pull that information as well. And then we do what we all, what we call verifications of information that you provide. So for example, if you provide your employment history in the last three places that you worked, then we will verify with your employers that you did actually work there, that you held the position that you said you have. So there are a whole bunch of different pieces of information that we can verify at Checker. Is the objective of all these screenings related to getting a job or employment related activities, or is there some other reason why we would do these checks? Employment is the 
primary. And I think employment is basically 90% of our volume, close to 90% of volume. You can also do background checks for people that you are going to be creating a contract with. For example, Zillow is one of our customers. And so if you wanted to apply to buy a house or rent a house at Zillow, then the landlord could run a background check on you before they actually sign a tenancy contract with you. But employment is the big one. And let's talk a bit about how things are traditionally done without using Checker. For example, who are the parties involved with conducting this background check and getting the information and that kind of thing? How does it work? So traditionally, before technology got, before we kind of brought in an API and brought technology into the space, background checks were done uh, very manually. So for example, if somebody wanted to work at company X, they would send their information to somebody at the company and then someone, usually HR, would actually make a phone call or work with providers that then you know made phone calls on their own side. And so the process was, there were a few things that were, that were kind of broken with the process. One, it was really slow because obviously you know you're depending on like a single human to make phone calls and like you know hope that they get somebody at the courthouse to get information from and hope that they could you know get online at the DMV and get all the information so it was really slow the second thing and this is the big thing that I think ties into the checker mission is that background checks were just inherently biased and this is not because people doing background checks were were bad or anything. It's just that people have biases. Everyone has biases that you're not really even aware of. And so it was common for you know, people to make different decisions based on information on a profile that really had nothing to do with the background check. As an example, if you saw two identical candidates that had, let's say, a marijuana possession charge, which in California is not illegal anymore. But let's say one of them was you know, a graduate from Princeton University. I'm not saying anything about Princeton University, but yeah, you know, one of them was like a graduate from a top school from someplace that you were, you kind of were like, oh yeah, you know, this is, this is probably a, a good kid. And then the other one, you, there was like address history that showed that maybe they lived in a part of the country that you were like, well, that's kind of more, you know, a little bit dangerous or has like some amount of crime or had a, a name that was maybe an ethnic name. And you would just kind of jump to conclusions, even though the rest of the profiles were identical. And the person actually making the decision about employment would just have like a very subtle kind of unconscious bias to pick one over the other, even though they're the exact same uh, background check profile. So at Checker, that seemed pretty broken. The fact that there's just information that is not actually relevant for employment was being used to make decisions. And so one of our uh, missions is to actually use technology because computers are inherently unbiased. And so when you apply technology and you set it up using rules that a customer can predefine, then you just have all of your applicants going through the same rules and you're not making decisions based on whether they're a woman or whether their name sounds like they're an immigrant or things like that. So what you said is basically there's a big manual process, several people involved and in addition to that, they can bring in unconscious bias to the table. Yeah. What about the duration of the traditional process? Is there a range of how long it can typically take to 
get the result of the background check? So the process can take up to weeks, traditionally, sometimes even longer. But and checker, like the fact that we have an API definitely speeds it up quite a bit. There are still some bottlenecks in the system. There are still because we do two types of searches. Uh, one type of search is what we call an instant search, where we talk to databases that already exist, that uh, third-party data providers. It's like technology all the way down. And then we also have searches that are physical searches, where even though we make an API request to a data provider. On their end, it still requires somebody to physically go to a courthouse and look up data that exists in paper form. And that's just because the government has not fully digitized all of its data. It's a lot of data. So those searches are still slow. They can still take days or weeks. But we have sped up a lot of other searches because we're now using technology. There's still a long tail of slower searches, though. Let's start talking about Checker. I know you've mentioned a few things. I can sense your excitement about this. And just to clarify for the listeners, Checker is a company that's providing a modern and compliant background check. Like you mentioned, there's an API involved and it helps solve some of these biases in the process. What I want to ask you is, what does it mean for a background check to be compliant and efficient and fair? So there's three different things over there. I'll go over them one by one. So compliance is basically, there are a bunch of different rules, depending on where you are in the country, that defines what you can actually show on a background check. For example, the state of California says that you should not show arrests that were older than seven years ago unless it actually resulted in a conviction. And this is just so that, you know, if you, you know, got arrested, but you were let go like the next day or within a few hours, then you don't actually have that show up in your background check for the rest of your life. This is also because arrests tend to be like different racial groups tend to get arrested more than others, unfortunately, just because of the way our our criminal justice system is set up. And so the state of California tries to do it, it uh, tries to have some laws in place so that we don't penalize people just based on the fact that a cop might have pulled them over. So there are some uh, regulatory rules around what you can show on a background check. And so that basically covers compliance. Like we are not allowed to show data on a background check that the state government or the federal government or even the city government say you, you can't show. And that's pretty complex because frequently the different levels of government are in contradiction to each other. This is just the way our, you know, democracy works. The state governments can have laws in place that override federal government rules. And so it's definitely a pretty complex um, rules engine on our side to kind of like have, make sure that we're actually coming up with the most compliant background check uh, eventually. It also gets interesting because we kind of have to figure out whether to use the location of the employer or the employee. And for areas that are, that you know, cities that are close to state borders, if you have somebody who's going to be working in two different states, it definitely gets uh, interesting. So that's compliance. The uh, second one is efficiency. And efficiency is one, just by applying technology, we are kind of getting a big efficiency bump because we're just faster. We're able to process things much quicker than having them go through a human queue. And then the second thing about efficiency is that because we provide a lot of tools to our customers and the applicants, we are actually able to send the background check information out for review much faster 
faster. We're able to allow customers to make decisions, hiring decisions much faster. And we're able to provide analytics to our customers and internally so that we understand exactly what's going on with our system, with our data, what's going through our system. So we're definitely investing quite a bit in efficiency. And then the third thing is fairness. So fairness, again, technology brings some amount of fairness, but we're also doing a lot of other things on our side to enhance, to make the background check system even more fair than just applying technology would make it. One of the things we do, even with companies that do API-based background checks, they still have a human make final hiring decision where you run the background check on somebody and then you send it to uh, HR or recruiting or somebody at the company that's making the decision. And then they look at the background check and do a final like yes, no on the hiring decision. But we're trying to get that totally out of the system. We work with some of our customers for them to provide what we call provide a rules matrix where they specify what data on a background check will actually be disqualifying for the job. And so they can say things like, I don't care about jaywalking. If somebody's been jaywalking and it's a charge on their record and it shows up in their you know county search, that's fine. Just throw it away. Or they might say things like, you know, running a red light once was fine, but if you've done it twice, that's not okay. Or they can kind of specify the severity of the charges that they're actually looking at. Also, depending on the job itself, for example, somebody who is going to be working at a job that doesn't involve any driving, the company can specify that they don't actually care about any of the driving history. They just want us to filter that out. And so once we get all of these uh, matrices from the different customers, we can run the background check through them and come up with a final assessment and then make the hiring call based on that assessment without actually ever being viewed by a human. So that makes it a lot more fair and actually goes uh, helps it go through our system much faster. The other thing that we're doing with fairness is something called Better Future, where we're trying to make, we want to make background checks available to consumers. So with all of your other information, background checks are maybe one of the few pieces of information that really do belong to the people that we're running the background checks with. If somebody runs a background check on me, it's my data that they're pulling up, but I don't get to see what's on that on the background check until my future employer gets a copy and, and then makes a decision about whether I'm going to be hired or not hired. And then they send me the background check and say, hey, we decided not to hire you because you, you know, I don't know punched a kitten or something. And so it's kind of weird because with all of the other information that I own, my credit history, for example, I get to see my credit history. I know exactly what's on my credit history. And if something's wrong, I can fix it before I apply for a loan or you know something like that. So we want to make background checks freely available to everyone so that you can come to the checker site, run your own background check, see exactly what's on it. If there's something on it that shouldn't be there. For example, if your identity was stolen and there's something on your background check and you want to fix it, you can actually proactively fix it before sending it to employers. The other thing we could do is we can let you know which employers you would actually, which employers' uh, rules you would actually match. So then we can kind of proactively tell you, hey, your profile has an exact match with the rules that company X is looking for. And so if you want to apply for a job there, you'll be pre-approved 
for a job, which is kind of cool. So that's something I'm super excited about, just kind of expanding background checks to just be a consumer product and have them be available to every single person. That's definitely something I'm super excited about at Checkers Future. I think that's a very interesting take on it. I can see how it can be useful, particularly for people that have a criminal record or they might have been in jail. I, I've read that a lot of times it's hard for them to find a job. And then here in the system, they could clearly see, okay, these companies don't care that you were in jail. People change. Right. And we can also provide tools. Like we have a really good legal team at Checker. And so we know exactly, you know, we can tell people, hey, you have this charge, but you can go and get it expunged if you do, you know, community service for a while or if you contest your speeding ticket. We can give people the tools so that they can actually clear up their background checks so that then they are more able to to get jobs. Yeah, that's great. And you describe this as uh, making it a consumer product, right? Yeah, that is our goal for the future. Like We want to become more than just background checks as a one-to-one between us and, and employers. We want to become a general hiring platform where if you wanted to find a job, you came into Checker, you got to see all of the companies that would match your profile, you got like an instant background check, you knew exactly what data was available about you. You've mentioned several times this core component of Checker, which is the API. Can you describe what it consists of? and how, how people can use it? Sure. So the API, it's a pretty simple REST API from our customers. Basically, you know, we, they give, get an API token. We go through a process that we call credentialing, where we make sure that the customer is actually a legitimate customer who has a legitimate reason to be running background check, you know, employment, or like I said, you know, tenancy or a few other small groups, small set of reasons. And then basically, we tend to have our flow in integrated pretty closely with our customer product. So uh, one of our big customers is Uber, for example. And so the process of triggering a background check is very much integrated into Uber's product. So basically, if somebody wants to drive for Uber, they sign up on the Uber app. And then at the end of it, there's a step that says, hey, you, we're going to run a background check on you. And as soon as they say, okay, they do have to give their consent. And then as soon as they give their consent, Uber's system basically sends off a, an API request to us. We create a candidate object for that specific person. And then we create a report object. And the report is basically a background check. And then the report object kicks off a whole bunch of parallel searches to a bunch of different data providers. And then we're basically waiting for the data providers to send information back to us send results back to us normally via a webhook. Some of them we pull. And as soon as the results come back, then we usually through a webhook push the results of then the final background check back to our customers. So it's a, it's a pretty standard. It's a, I mean, it's a pretty simple API. The complexity is really in the post-processing that we do to the background check data. The data that comes back from our providers tends to have a pretty low signal-to-noise ratio. It's because people have common names. Data that comes back is usually a little bit unstructured. There's a lot of human-readable text that's not really computer-structured. So as an example, if your name was you know, Darth Vader, then we would send out a request for a background check for Darth Vader. And it's like, well, there's only one of him. He blew up, you know, he created the Death Star, blah, blah. We know exactly what he did. We get his background check. It's pretty clear. And we send that information up to the customer. If your name is John Smith, on the other hand, and we send out a request to our data providers, give us all public information associated with a John Smith in the state of California, you get a ton of results for a lot of different John Smiths. 
And so one of the things that we do that's pretty cool is we actually do like a, a big probabilistic matching step on the data that comes back from our providers. So we look at things like, you know, what other information is in the payload? Do we have a date of birth? Do we have any SSN information? Not usually because these are public records. Do we have address information? So if it was a speeding ticket, for example, and John Smith only lived in California, but the speeding ticket was from Massachusetts, then it's a little bit less likely than that that speeding ticket belongs to our John Smith than if there was a speeding ticket from like five miles away from one of his, you know, one of the addresses that he's lived at. So we run all of these matching algorithms and we come up with a score of how likely it is that the data that we get back from the provider matches John Smith. And a lot of what my team does is basically tune that score and tune that matching system so that we get more and more confident about our filtering. When I was researching for this, those were the areas where I see that technology is improving this traditionally slow manual and bias process. One of them we talked about, which is exposing this REST API that the companies can use and also the consumer product leverages. This other component is you're talking about probability statistics and is it also machine learning involved in this? Yeah, there's definitely machine learning involved because the data that comes back is usually something a county clerk typed in and it's very unstructured. And then we do apply an ML processing layer to basically then categorize it. So we look at something like, you know, breaking and entering or assault with a violent weapon and a whole bunch of other terms. And then we kind of classify them as like felony conviction or, you know, felony misdemeanor, petty charges. And so are associated with the different buckets. And then we can kind of like use those buckets as well to decide whether or not that data is compliant or not compliant when we show it on a background check. But yeah, we do a lot of processing with a lot of data. So it's a lot of cleaning and formatting the data, right? Yeah, it's a lot of cleaning. It's a lot of filtering. It's a lot of verifying against previous data that we've seen in the past. But yeah, it's a lot of data processing. We did an intro to machine learning show and there we learned about there's Two of the ways in which machine learning can be done is in this supervised manner or this unsupervised manner. In the context of background checks and checker, which of the two or both of them are being used? We're playing with both, really, because we're using machine learning to classify uh, provider information. We're also using machine learning to predict how long a background check will take. And we actually have a machine learning consultant coming in, an expert coming in to help our team identify more ways that we can apply machine learning to the data. Just because we have so much data and we're still a very young team, we're still finding ways that we can parse and cut and read the data. So if you're a machine learning expert, come work with us. Yeah, it sounds like right now there's a lot of experimental stuff going on at Checker. There's a lot of experimental stuff going on. How about analytics? What are some of the analytics that we can look at in the background checks workflow? So analytics, we definitely have analytics around just report completion, how long reports take. We have really interesting analytics around like the the geopolitical map of the U.S., around which counties are slow, which counties have like interesting patterns in terms of like the data. Like we know, for example, that background checks in some California counties will take a really long time. And so we that's kind of interesting to see. We have uh, pretty interesting data around commonalities between, you know, customers. We can kind of make recommendations to customers saying, hey, you know, other companies that 
have filters like this or like care about these particular charges or care about this particular you know profile you know you might want to update your filter so that you're more fair and so we're basically showing our customers information so that we can kind of get them all to the same baseline of fairness um, which is pretty cool and then we track pretty much everything. We log a ton of data internally. So we definitely have internal statistics around like whether there are bugs, whether there are exceptions, whether there are outages at DMVs, things like that. There's a lot of stuff. At the beginning, we talked about how the traditional process has biases because people have unconscious bias. In what ways is technology being used to help alleviate this problem of incorporating bias in the background check process? So I think the biggest way to alleviate bias is just take people out of the process entirely. And that's one of the things that we're doing by having more automatic rules evaluations where our customers tell us ahead of time that these are the profiles that they want to see going through the system. This is the data that they actually care about. And once they give us their profiles ahead of time, they don't actually look at individual background reports or individual resumes or anything. They basically, everything passes through our system and then we kind of apply all of our rules and come up with a final, yep, your background check passes the rule. So you can now automatically work for uh, this company that you're applying to. Really, that's the entire goal. Like the more you can take people out of the picture, the less bias there is in the system. There's still some biases in the initial matrix because, you know, that's still a human input. But that's something we can work closely with our customers on and help them understand that they really should only care about the data that is relevant to the job that they're hiring for. And then that way we can make their evaluation matrices very targeted. So then anything that is on somebody's background check, like a criminal uh, record that is completely irrelevant, just doesn't even get looked at by anybody. So yeah, definitely taking people out of the picture. And then also giving our applicants as much as many tools on their side so that we can help them understand their background check better. Because we tend to know the terminology uh, on background checks. Our customers are used to the terminology, but applicants tend to not really understand. You know, if you haven't worked with legal teams before, you're going to see all of this legal terminology and be like, I don't know, what does this mean? And so we're definitely trying to provide a lot of information to our applicants as well. I think we're one of the few background check companies that cares equally about our paying customers and the applicants that are coming through our system. Like we do all of our support in-house, you know, we have people on the phones helping applicants understand their background checks, understand how to dispute data on their background checks, what like the expectations are when they dispute something and how how we investigate things on our side to clear their background checks. And so I think it's a combination of make sure our customers are doing things in a very automatic way, as automated as possible, and then make sure the applicants have a lot of tools so that they understand the data that really belongs to them. I'd say those are the two facets of uh, making things fair. Before we finish, I want to switch gears for a little bit. Prior to Checker, you were at Dropbox, and I saw you worked in pretty much all parts of the stack, the desktop client, the installer, the UI, yeah. networking layer. What are the advantages of working across the stack? Because I know some people always wonder about this. They're told, oh, pick an area and just go deep in UI, focus on that. But I wanted to get your input on what you got out of this diverse? I think for me, it really helped understand that some classes of software problems are the same no matter where you are in the stack. 
like your some things are are common. You're trying to write clean code that somebody else can understand. You're trying to think about how your code will scale. You're trying to think about how when somebody looks at something that you wrote, you know, five years down the line, they're not just like, what? Who wrote this? And so I think there are some things that translate really well, regardless of where you are in the stack. And actually, kind of bouncing back and forth across the stack gives you a pretty good sense of like of those commonalities. The other thing for me is that I kind of like bouncing around. I, I'm interested in a lot of things, not just in like, you know, in technology. I'm interested in a lot of things outside of work as well. And so for me, it's pretty cool to be able to like look at anybody's code review in the company and be like, yeah, I kind of understand what's going on over here. I, you know, even though it's not my area of expertise. And it definitely helped me a lot anytime I pick up a new project, anytime I picked up, uh, you know, switch to doing something else, or even like, you know, ramping up at Checker, it's definitely helped me to just look at something new, a totally new problem and not be scared of it and not be intimidated by it. I see how also that can help drive discussions around the overall architecture of a system, right? Yeah. When you walk into a room where somebody is discussing a system that you're not an expert on, but you can still distill commonalities and common sense knowledge and you could still participate without just being like, I have no idea what they're talking about, so I'm just going to be really quiet. So I think for me, it's helped a lot working on a whole bunch of different types of tech stacks. You mentioned that you like bouncing around areas and that you also have a lot of interests outside of work. So I'm curious, what are some of those outside of work interests that you have? So I really like photography. I really like reading. At some point in my life, I kind of have a little bit of a bucket list of maybe going and getting a JD because I think law is fascinating. I was pre-med before I went into computer science, so I still kind of harbor some hopes of maybe going back and getting an MD at some point. Like I said, I can kind of bounce around the place. I'm a little bit, you know, scatterbrained that way. But yeah, I love traveling. I love cooking, kind of, and just have a lot of different interests. Yeah, what I like about that, you mentioned pre-med, and even now, if you get a medical degree, that's great, but even if you don't, you can still be in that field because technology is very... Yeah, my pediatrician is very annoyed with me because when I go in, I'm always like, look, I've read all the research papers, I know exactly what's going on. He's like, oh no, you're one of those. So, yeah. And one last question. Also during your time at Dropbox, you were a mentor to new hires and interns. What was some of the advice you gave to them back then? I think the most useful piece of advice that I have ever gotten that I try to pass on to people who are starting something new or you know joining a new place or you know doing a new project is to not think of yourself as less than anybody else sitting at the table. I used to be, I definitely had a confidence problem earlier on in my career where I felt like I would need to sit and understand everything 200% before I put forth my opinion. And usually I'd get to the end of meetings and be like, wow, I didn't say anything and everyone else had a lot of stuff to say. But somewhere along the line, I realized that it's okay to participate in a discussion even when you don't have all the answers because no one else in the room has all the answers either. And the whole point of a discussion is for everyone to kind of like move towards a possible answer. And so I think I've definitely given advice to people that I've mentored of like, you know, no, sit at the table, participate in conversations, like put your opinion forward because your opinion is valuable and it will help somebody else, even if you think that you're not bringing anything important or critical, you are. I think that's been the most useful advice I've ever gotten. And I try to tell people that. 
That used to be me and my first role. What I think helped in my case was there was a senior engineer that would just ask, Elena, what do you think? And I sort of started to build up that confidence. So that could be an advice for senior engineers listening. Just try to ask. Yeah, definitely. Because like everyone talks about imposter syndrome. But the thing I realized is that every single person has imposter syndrome. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, if you're a man, if you're senior, if you're junior, every single person sitting there in a conference room talking to other people is like, oh my goodness, what if people think that what I have to say is stupid? And so you just look out for everyone else and you hope that you can you know, participate valuably, but it's important just to be there. Yes, definitely. Well, Ritu, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been awesome talking to you too. Thanks to Blind for being a new sponsor of the show. Go to teamblind.com. That's teamblind.com to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. Check it out.